Good morning. If I was to ask the majority of you this morning, what were some of the failures that you feel like you failed in this week? Instantly, your mind starts searching or is very aware of what you're not or what you've done. It automatically goes to that. Well, if you could recount the incidents for me where you feel like you fell short, you would be able to. And when you did, you know the same emotion that happened after your failure happened, you would experience in the moment that you reiterated it to me. It would be there. Why? Because thoughts carry emotions. Now, if I was to take that same thought, or if you were to take that same thought, and you were to ask the Father, what about this that happened earlier in the week? What about my failure? Do you think that God would allow you to remind Him of something you're not? Or do you believe in that moment God would tell you everything that's right with you? That He would not even allow you to belittle yourself in His presence? See, that's the God that we serve. I'm always aware of my own failures. I'm always aware of what I'm not. I don't want to be. I try not to be. I try to set my mind on things above. Because in our hearts, we really do have a desire to please the Father. It's like Faithy. You know, she messed up and she came and she's very sad and she's telling me how sorry she is. And I tell her, that's okay. And she said, well, it happened. It was in the past. I said, do I ever tell you what you're not? And she said, no. I said, I always tell you who you are. Because you can never become who you're supposed to be believing you're something that you're not. We watch Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh obviously is a very spiritual bear because the new Winnie the Pooh movie, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh says, I always get to where I'm going when I leave where I've been. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, Winnie the Pooh must be saved, Jesus, because the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. <laughs> oh, well, it says the lion will lay down with the lamb, so uh, there has to be bears in heaven. So, <laughs> No, but the reality is, is that even if I'm aware of my failures, when I try to bring them to God, He's never aware of them, even when I try to remind Him. The Apostle Paul mastered something, and he said this one thing I do. He could have said a million different things, but he said this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind me and I press on to those things which are ahead. He forgets the times where he failed. So when my own mind or if the enemy tries to bring it back up to me, I say to myself, that never happened. And you think, well, that's lying. If the blood of Jesus cleansed me, if I applied the blood to that situation, if God doesn't remember it, why would I let it continue to exist in my mind? See, that's where feelings of guilt, shame, and condemnation come from because we're reminded of us. 
But God doesn't want us to be reminded of us in our failures. He wants us to be reminded of Him. This message title is going to be called Perfect Love. And I'm going to start 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 15 through 18. Before I read that, there's times where we believe that we could do better. And in reality, could we do better? Yes. We're never going to get to the point of doing or being all that God has planned us to do or to be, trying to perfect ourselves in order to get to Him. We're perfected in Him. That's why in the book of John, the Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus said that I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me will produce fruit and his fruit shall remain. And he said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes we let the feelings of things that we felt like we did apart from Jesus dictate whether we're going to bear fruit or not because of Jesus. But he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, verse 15, 1 John chapter 4. All right, I'm going to start at 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. It just said that God is love. And then it says, as he is, so are we in this world. If God is love and we've become extensions of who God is, then we become love. And then listen to what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It says perfect love casts out fear. If I was to go and to ask each one of you to give me a definition of perfect love, how would you describe perfect love? Because in order for something to be perfect, there can't be any flaw in it. If you look it up in the Webster, it actually says flawless, without fault. Perfect love. A perfect game means that you didn't miss one basket that you had the perfect game, that every single time you shot the ball, threw the ball, or hit the ball, you made contact or you scored. It's a perfect game. That means that nothing can be flawed in it. There can't be one error, one miss. If what we did could affect God's love for us, then it could no longer be perfect. It would have to be flawed. If we were able to take away from God's love for us, it couldn't be called perfect. 
Because the moment something is taken away from perfection, it's no longer perfect. If you add to something that is already perfect, it's no longer perfect. Perfect means complete. If something is already completed and you add to it, now it's overdone. It's no longer perfect. In our minds, sometimes we believe that God is angry with us because of something we did. Or we feel less than perfect. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. When I mess up, I used to believe that God was going to punish me because of something I did. But perfected love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. God's not into punishing us. That's why it says, do not despise the correction of the Lord. God corrects us with words. He doesn't correct us with something bad happening to one of our family members or our cars breaking down or having less than enough money to get through the month. God doesn't use those things to correct us. He never has and he never will. If he did, then there would be a fear of punishment and we couldn't be perfect in love. Because until our hearts are established in grace that He loved me when I was at my worst state, that there was nothing I could give to God, there wasn't one thing I could do for Him. When Jesus came into the world, the Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. While we were yet sinners, God commended His love towards us in this that why we were yet sinners without strength in due time, Christ came to die. And then it says for the kind of people he came to die for, for the ungodly. I was ungodly. Bless God, I qualified (laughs) to qualify for the love of God. All humanity qualifies. But what sets us apart as Christians is that God's love isn't only towards us, now it's in us. I no longer fear punishment. When something happens, I don't look to see what I've done. I automatically know that when something bad happens, it's not God. And if you're not established in love, you will always point to yourself when something bad happens. And when something good happens, guess what you do? You point to yourself. You must have been doing something right. None of it's focused on Jesus. Because in Him we live, we move, and we have our being. In Him. That I'm not a victim to circumstances. I'm not. When people make bad decisions around me, I don't have to become that. I do Uber, and someone asked me a couple weeks ago, well, what do you do when people get in a bad mood when they're in the car? I said, well, I let them take it with them. (laughs) I don't let their bad mood become mine. (laughs) The bad mood that they got in the car with, it goes with them. It's not allowed to stay here. (laughs) It's not. Because I'm not taking on other people's spirits. I've been sealed with one Spirit. Because of His Spirit, because of Jesus, because we know that we're children of God, because the Scripture just said He has given us of His Spirit, because I have that Spirit, I'm not subject to other spirits. 
I can actually pick the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit because He's waiting to produce it in my life. And like I said at my cousin's church, I said, you know, we fear weakness as Christians. We fear of us failing, of us falling. We're afraid of this, but what if in our failures or in our frailty or in our weakness, Jesus was just waiting to put his strength on us? Would you fear weakness? No. Would you be worried of falling? No. Because in my weakness, Christ's strength is made perfect. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because the things that I couldn't do by myself, apart from me, you can do nothing. I find that I'm no longer apart from Him and now all things have become possible to me. See, in God's mind, He dreamed of the day where He would marry you. Where He would make a covenant with you like a man does with a wife where he would be able to bring his children that rebelled against him, where he would be able to make the payment through the blood of his own son so that many sons and daughters could be brought unto him. He yearned. He dreamed. He imagined what it would be like on that day. And that's why I've heard it said, and I believe it, the reason why the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom instead of the bottom of the top is because God is the only one who could tear the curtain from the top to the bottom. And it's like God couldn't wait. As soon as Jesus paid the debt for sin and reconciled humanity, God broke forth. It was a violent shaking, you understand. (laughs) The Bible says the earth shook because God who had been kicked out had now come back to his children. This is perfect love. See, there's nothing that these girls could do that could take away my love for them. Why? Because they're mine. I love them perfectly. God's been teaching us something with Faithy. Faithy went through some stuff. And when we came back from Michigan, it's like the spirit of epilepsy tried coming on her. She couldn't control what she was saying or what she would do. And the only thing I knew is I'm going to beat it out of you. That's all I knew. I never experienced that with any of the girls. And I spanked her and I told her, you're going to be more afraid of me than that spirit. You know that didn't help any? You know it made it worse? And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he said that the enemy has no defense against perfect love. That's where the message came from. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So what we started to do is we started to love her perfectly. You're not in trouble. It's okay. That's not you. (laughs) We brought her into church last week and Mark and Val prayed for her. I had a dream the night before didn't make no sense till we left church. I dreamed that Faithy was a toddler and she had short hair and she had lice in her hair. And when I found the lice, I thought, man, I'm not looking forward to getting that out. But in the dream, I knew I had to. When I left church, like I was telling Mark and Val, it was the Lord letting me know that it wasn't in her. It was just in her head. I just needed to get out what was in her head, the stuff that doesn't belong there. 
Well, that's each one of us. When we allow thoughts of inadequacy, not being sufficient, we've never been. We've never been sufficient. From the day I came to Christ till now, I still don't find value just in myself. I'm not self-worthy. I'm worthy because the blood of Jesus. It's that blood that actually made me worthy. That I'm clean in the eyes of my Father. And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit giving us wisdom on how to parent, on how to live life, how to operate in a marriage, I would be lost. I would be. Because we've been taught that God's love is conditional. Sometimes He loves us, but sometimes He doesn't. Well, nowhere in the New Testament do we find that. In the Old Testament, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting means it lasts forever. And listen, perfect love that casts out fear means that it's perfect. That means that you cannot flaw the love of God that he has for you. Regardless of what you do, he will never stop loving you. One of the biggest problems is Christianity is people putting their own interpretation on what you said and adding to after you stop talking. <laughs> You're saying, no, I didn't say that. You said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> but the reality is, is that you could go out and you could do whatever you wanted to do. And you could die an early death and find yourself before the throne of Jesus. And you're not going to hear, uh, depart from me. Will you be grieved in that moment? You might be happy you're going to get into heaven. But when you see the full scale that God wanted to do through you, <laughs> it's going to grieve you. <laughs> but he's going to say, come on. He's going to tell you, you've got an eternity to work through this. <laughs> and after today, you'll remember it no more. <laughs> It's true. See, I believe God's love is so radical that He will really never leave us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said that. And in order for Him to leave us or to forsake us, He would have had to lie. Because He told this to Peter when everything was going good. <laughs> Peter denied that he knew Jesus. He went back to his old life. He took people that were close to him. He took them down with him. <laughs> he did. But even in all those decisions, they find Jesus on the shore. When Peter swims up to Jesus, Jesus isn't telling him, you denied me. You denied me. Out of all people... Surely, you know, I thought that prophecy wouldn't come true with you. <laughs> he didn't even mention it. He said, do you love me, Peter? He said, Lord, I, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? And the scripture says that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He said, then feed my lambs. Peter had always trusted 
and his love for Jesus. But it wasn't his love for Jesus that brought Jesus back to Peter. It was Jesus' love for Peter that propelled Peter into the man that he would become despite what he had done. Because in the presence of Jesus, Peter wasn't what he did. He wasn't what he did. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. I hate the idea of partial love. (laughs) That's what it would be. It'd be partial love. If God was willing to invest his whole self into who we are, when we hadn't did one good work for him, if he was willing to give us the Holy Spirit just by asking him, that's what it says in the book of Matthew. It says that, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask? Do you understand the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that you could ever receive? He's the greatest gift. But we were given Him freely in our worst state. We were given the Holy Spirit freely. We couldn't earn Him. We didn't deserve Him. It's this great love because God loves us perfectly. He loves us perfectly. And He always will. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I'm going to do you guys wrong. So it says, For this reason I bow my knees. If you want to find out the reason why Paul's bowing his knee, you've got to go read it because I don't have time. <laughs> okay. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Have you ever asked yourself, God, how is it that you can love me? You're in your mind. (laughs) You're not in the Word. Because the Word says that His love supersedes your natural understanding, that you really do have to believe it by faith. (laughs) God, You love me enough to die for me before I ever loved You. When people would tell me about Jesus, and I would say, if you're going to talk about Jesus, I'm just going to leave. I'm not into Jesus. I wasn't into Jesus. My mom... I would go over there and she got saved and she just, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I told her more than once, if you're going to keep telling me about Jesus, I'm going to leave. Like, I didn't come over here to hear about Jesus. I don't care about Jesus. I didn't didn't care about Jesus. I cared about Steve a lot, though. (laughs) I did. You know, when I didn't care about Jesus and I just cared about Steve, thank God that Jesus cared enough about me that he never stopped sending laborers among my path that someone would plant the seed and I would try my best to get it out of there. Somebody else would come and water it and throw more dirt on it. Why? 
Because the love of God compels us. That God will never stop fighting for us. Don't you love the idea to think that in your worst times, in your most weak times, that God is arrayed in war against the things that oppose you? You have somebody that goes before you that is fighting your battles. That he is able to keep you from falling. It says that he's able to save them to the uttermost who come to him. Why? Because he's willing to fight for us. He was willing to die for us. Trust me, he's willing to fight for us. And when things in our life try to consume us, God is arrayed in war against those things because it's the day of vengeance upon the enemies of the Lord. And you were never an enemy to God. Sin was an enemy. He killed sin in the body of Jesus. Jesus killed that enemy and he conquered hell, death, and the grave. And the scripture says that he took the keys of hell and death away from the devil. And then we know that in Luke chapter 18, he says, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's saying whatever is already bound in heaven, you have the ability to bind it on earth. Because the key that God gave us is his son and his son is the picture of love and it's perfect in origin and nature. And there's nothing that you can do that will take away or disqualify you from that love because you were never qualified when it was shed. Why do you think as being born again, you can somehow earn more of the love of God, more of the favor of God or more of the grace of God? You can't. They were all given at Calvary. Amen. You weren't even born yet. It was given way before you were ever born. You stepped into it and now you become a recipient of what was already done. Amen. And you find yourself in the plans and the life of God because he predestined us in Christ. All right. I'm going to do you guys the same way again. I'm going to start with a therefore. So (laughs) If you want to see what it's there for, you got to go see what it's there for. I don't have the time. Praise God. Amen. But faith is doing a lot better. You know? Uh, yeah. That's like uh, over the days after church on Sunday, it's just slowly lost its grip. Doing better and better. Every time she messes up, remind her that's not you. That's not who you are. You're made in the likeness and image of God. And I was telling her, we have thoughts that come into our head. I said, the reason why you feel bad for saying something or doing something is because it's not in your heart. We know that we're children of God because He's given us His Spirit. When I was in the world, before I had the Spirit of God, I never felt bad about anything bad I ever did. (laughs) I woke up thinking about it the next morning. How can I do this again? It's the testimony that we're children of God that God bears witness with our spirits because something says this is wrong and I don't want to do this. But in Faithy's case, literally, she couldn't help it. She couldn't. And like I was telling Mark and Bell, if you'd have seen it, you'd have knew it was just so demonic. But it's the importance that we don't have demons in us. <laughs> They're thoughts that come to our head. Amen. We got to retrain or reprogram our mind according to the word of God. It has to be renewed according to who we really are. Because sometimes, like I was telling her, you didn't do anything wrong because you have a thought, because it's not in your heart. 
Do you understand that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin? He was without sin, but he was tempted in every way, just like we are. The temptation isn't sin. See, when thoughts, ideas, or words come to you, they make you feel dirty. And they make you feel like this is my thought. But what if it wasn't your thought because your spirit's born again and you don't think like that? So if it's not coming from your spirit and you know God doesn't think like that, it's not coming from his spirit, there's only one other source that it can come from and it's demonic. And it's trying to make you feel dirty. That's why it's even trying to come into your mind because it's trying to take our confidence away because if our hearts condemn us. But then he says, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. He knows the blood that was purchased to redeem that heart and who really lives there. You're not limited to even if you acted on it and it became something you embraced. You're not limited to that. This doesn't define you or become you. You've been made new because the love of God is where you've been placed. And in love, nothing you can do can take away from it. Otherwise, it couldn't be called perfect. It'd be called partial. Then, if you know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that means if you don't know all the love of Christ, if you don't have understanding, then you're going to have some of you in there and some of God. You're going to limit God in order to what he can do in your life because you have too much of you in there. And we pray, God, all of you and none of me, stupidest prayer. I'm telling you, don't ever pray that because that's what God had before you were ever born, before Jesus ever died. He had all of him and none of you. How about all of me filled with all of you? (laughs) God wants us, you understand. He wants us. He longs to have fellowship with his creation. He went through such extents to die for us, to reconcile us. The whole reason he came to reconcile us was for fellowship. It's for fellowship. All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Do you know that if God be for us, who can be against us? If you put yourself in the category of trying to be against yourself, you will never allow yourself to be against yourself. (laughs) You will never allow yourself to be against yourself because God is always for me. If God is always for me and he's never against me, then why would I have to fear? Even in my worst mistakes, he's for me. Even if I messed up and blew it big, he's for me. Even if I yielded to something I shouldn't have yielded to, he's for me. Why? Because he loves me. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Question mark. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, I'm going to pause for a minute. Because if we're going through something, 
That's what usually the enemy tries. Well, if God loved me, why would I be going through this? We try to to rationalize, if God loved me, why would I be going through this? God, why would you allow this? I've asked that same question. You know what? He's never answered me on that question. Not one time has he ever said, I understand why you're questioning my love. And, you know, yeah, I probably should have uh, let you go around this and kept you from this one. But there was a time where God led the Israelites through the desert and they avoided war because they weren't strong enough. And there's a time where God said, now it's time for you to take possession of what I've promised. Enter into your promised land and possess it. And sometimes God takes us around stuff and then we get to the other side and he says, now I want you to possess your inheritance. And it's up to us to fight. It's up to us to prove God true, to return his word back to him, to know I'm not going to lay down in depression. No, I'm going to stand up in the spirit of God. When that thing that was trying to actually take hold of faithy, it broke Sunday morning. The fullness of it broke, but it was when she stood up, you could see it. She stood up on the inside and she said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. It's all she knows. She's six years old. She said, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And you seen it. You, you could feel peace in our house. And like I said last Sunday, I asked the devil when we were in service, I said, how does it feel to lose to a six-year-old? You always lose. You always lose. You never win here. You never win in this house. You never win in my house. You never win in triumphant grace. You never win with our people. Why? Because we're established in grace. Because we've awoken unto the real love that God has for us. It's not just a game. We understand that. It's not just religion. It's life. There's life in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus speaks better things. And it's always crying out, I love you this much. I love you this much. And sometimes we try to act like the sins that we have in our life. Are Christians supposed to have sin in their life? No. Do you have sin in your life? Yeah, you probably do. Are you condemned? No. Why? Because in the eyes of God, you're spotless because of the blood of the Lamb. He's not inspecting you to make sure you're worthy. (laughs) He's inspecting the sacrifice like Peter Schwartz taught. He's inspecting the sacrifice. Jesus made us acceptable. See, sometimes we act like our personal sin is bigger than Jesus. It's bigger than the blood of Jesus. But do you know that it says that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world? Anyone who would ever be born from the time the earth began to the time it ends and we depart to be with him, that blood had enough power in it to purge all humanity. Over 2,000 years later and we're clean. Why? Because our sin wasn't greater than the blood of Jesus. Is it still man's choice to receive Christ? Yeah, it is. Is all the world going to be saved? No. Can all the world be saved? Yes. Is it God's will for anyone to perish? No. He wants to save everybody. (laughs) You're talking about Adolf Hitler. You're talking about the people who have done the most horrible acts. God wanted to save them. And the payment was already paid to purchase them from their sin, to redeem them from their sin. Adolf Hitler, yeah, if he would have accepted Jesus after massacring millions of Jews, God would have accepted him into glory. Why? 
because he was living a lie of someone that he was never created to be. He believed the wrong spirit, but God wants to give us a new spirit. It's not like the old man. It's new. It's after his image. Amen. God's never mad at us. He loves us with a perfect love, and there's nothing that we can do to take away or diminish that love. Nothing. Like you're innocent in the eyes of your father. See, that's why the curse causeless shall not come, it says. Because if somebody is praying that the Lord would do something to you or you know, show you how wrong you are, he doesn't answer prayers like that. <laughs> Usually what happens when people pray against you, more of God's favor comes on you. <laughs> Amen. We can't be cursed. We can't. God's love can't be diminished. He loves us perfectly. It's perfect love that casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. God doesn't want to punish us. And like I said, when he corrects us, it's with words. It's not inflicting torment upon us in order to bring us to repentance. Repentance is of the heart. If God chastised you in the flesh, is it going to help your heart? No. But if he leads you in the spirit, if he corrects you in the spirit with the word, same thing. All I knew was we're going to beat this thing out of you. <laughs> I didn't beat her. I did whip her though. And God said that the enemy has no defense or offense for perfect love. There's nothing he can do. It was that one little shift where I thought I could influence it from the flesh. But it wasn't the flesh that was going to drive it out. It's the spirit that's inside of us. That when we stand up in our spirit and say, I'm going to be everything that God paid for me to be. I'm going to live out everything that God said I could have because he paid for. I'm going to walk in divine health and healing and restoration. I'm going to see my enemies gnash their teeth and be mad and melt away because God's blessed me. I don't have enemies that are people. When I read the Old Testament scriptures, he's always talking about the enemy of our souls, which is the devil. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We're still talking about perfect love. But it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. <laughs> Submission in the church. <laughs> he just said the S word. <laughs> when you mention submission in the church, it's like a bad word. But the scripture is very clear. And it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are to keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to the Lord. When I was reading that scripture... I realize that it doesn't say we will have to give an account to the Lord concerning your spirit because Jesus is the one who saved your spirit. It says souls, which means your mind, your will, and your emotions. That we, as leaders, will have to stand before the Lord and give an account for your souls, the health of your mind. If we ever told you that Jesus loved you beyond your own ability or understanding, 
if we gave you an opportunity to know who you are in fullness because of who he is in fullness. I heard a quote, and it says that the sum total of who you believe God is, is who you are. And when I heard that quote, I thought, is that right? The sum total of who I believe God is, is who I'll be? Because if I believe that God is angry with me, and then somebody else does me wrong, I'll believe because it's of me. I'll believe that I deserved it because of something I did. That those actions were because God was mad at me. But like I've said in other messages, if God's ever mad with us, he's never coming to die for us. It's the reason why just nobody will get to get into the pulpit here. Because Mark and Val value the people that God's placed here. And when you hear the message of grace and God's unconditional love, and we point you to Jesus every single week, when we stand before the Father to give an account for your souls, what we taught you, He's going to say, well done. I know He is. He's going to say, you ran well, you taught well, you finished well, you lifted up Jesus in everything that you did. He's going to say that to Mark and Val. Hopefully myself. I count it a great honor to close this service out here. I know it wasn't planned like that. It just kind of happened. But I count it an honor. And Miss Lola, thank you for being the faithful doorkeeper. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. And Lola, you've been faithful every Sunday. Praise God. There's probably been times you wanted to miss church, but you couldn't because we wouldn't get in. (laughs) So we just want to thank you, Lola, for your faithfulness. Man, we love you guys. You guys are beautiful. Amen, you are. You're worth dying for. And you're worth living for. Praise God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you that your love doesn't have any limitations. That it's never been limited to us. We thank you for the reality of that love. We thank you that we continue to grow in our knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. That you continue to strengthen us with all might and spiritual understanding in the inner man. We thank you, Father, that when you correct us, it's always with words. It's your word. We thank you. That's why our minds have to be renewed. We thank you that you help us with this process. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us and guide us and direct us. We thank you for the new season that we're about to step into of Triumphant Grace Ministries. Uh, We say goodbye to this season, and we thank you for the next one. We rejoice in your goodness, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.